What's going on, Zero to Hear podcast fans? Welcome back to the show. On tonight's episode, welcoming back Mr. Michael Bell. We kind of recap his first year on the Canadian tour, which was wild. It is crazy to think about how mentally draining uh, professional sports is, especially golf. Golf is crazy. Uh, This is a really fun conversation. You're going to learn a lot from this guy. He is a very, very intelligent guy, a very good golfer, and we hear all about his year. Enjoy the show. We'd love to hear from you guys. Leave us a review. Hit the subscribe button. Peace. Let's talk golf first. Other than your golf, let's talk PGA golf. Patrick Reed, we can talk about his incident, but one as he was teeing up on the first tee today, one of the fans in Australia yells out, uh, Patrick, is your caddy carrying 14 clubs plus a shovel? <laughs> <laughs> I think, oh, the, so I think the Aussie fans have some of the best chirps. They're hilarious, They're so good. Man. They're so good. They're also yelling for his ball off the first tee to get in the bunker, <laughs> which is just beautiful. <laughs> Carl, do you know what happened? No, explain Last it to week? me. Okay, so it wasn't even really a bunker. It was kind of like the hat. It's, it's, it's a waste area. So it's basically yeah. like a desert. Mm-hmm. There were in the Bahamas, I think. Yeah. So there's different rules for a waste bunker and a regular bunker. Like you can't ground your club in a real bunker, but in the desert you can. Gotcha. But in both, you can't improve your lie at all. Mm-hmm. That's how golf is. And his ball like ended up basically like in a foot mark or a hole kind of mm-hmm. and he put his club down and he took his backswing and in his backswing he was moving the sand oh. so his ball was no longer like in a hole right so he could get a club on it and it was so obvious he did it twice camera right behind him and twitter went wild instagram went wild like other players were calling him out which doesn't really happen on tour there's usually like a pretty they're pretty mm-hmm. close-knit group of guys you don't because it's like an integrity game, right? Yeah. You don't call people out on cheating, but it was so blatant. And then he did you went, see it live? Yeah, I, saw, I was watching, and I was like, I was like, do you remember what the commentator said? No, the commentator said because he's in a waste area, he can do that. No, I know. No, as, live, and I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I don't think you, you can, can never do that. improve your lie like yeah. that. And then the worst part is like, regardless of your skill level. He said he couldn't see what he was doing and he couldn't feel moving. He said he couldn't feel that he was moving the sand. Oh, fuck but off. Rega- regardless of like how good you are, even especially at the professional level, you know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> like, and they showed him it on camera. He's like, oh yeah, definitely did that. And he's like, but it wasn't my intention. And he's like, he's doubled down on the fact that he still says he doesn't know what he was doing. And it's so like, it's just blatantly cheating. So he is. He's like totally denying. He's, that just, he did de- he's just denying what happened. He's like, it's like on TV for the President's Cup in the in uh, the press room. He's like, as long as like you believe that you're doing the right thing personally, like I have no issue with it. It's like, Shut the is there like the fuck is there judges? Is there someone that can like come out? And- there, there's rules hmm. officials. There's like a committee that decides what's going on. He got he got uh, like a two stroke penalty. I'm pretty sure, but like that's not even the issue. It's the issue like. It's, golf isn't like other sports, right? If there's no cameras there, you just you don't see that someone's cheating. And mm. luckily, there's a camera there. Yeah. Or in like hockey, basketball, whatever, you always see what's going on because there's one, one ball. there's one there's one puck there's one ball and there's 
you know, 150 golfers on the course. So there's not always someone there. And it's not even the first time he's done it. They were showing another instance like five years ago where he did the same thing. Really? Yeah. So I, he was already disliked and now he's like extremely hated. Did you see uh, Justin Thomas in the practice round yesterday? Yeah. So Justin Thomas is in a, bunk, in a greenside bunker uh, yeah. yesterday in a practice round. And it's a practice round, so obviously they're not really keeping scores. And he picked his ball up and moved it over and like placed it on a nice piece of sand. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I didn't like my lie over there. <laughs> I, I, uh, I kind of like that they're making light of it. I'm like 50-50 on what JT did. Like, I like that they're making fun of it, but at the same time, I hate that it's like being normalized almost. Right. Because he should like... He shouldn't, he should get suspended. You can't fucking blatantly cheat. It's bullshit. Hmm. And then even like the rules committee afterwards were, were like, yeah, Patrick was his gentleman about it. He could have been nicer and they were not as harsh as they should have been. Oh, really? Just, I didn't see they, that. No, they, <clears throat> it was, uh, it was, it's wild. Like you just don't see blatant cheating in golf. Especially like when there's a camera right behind you and then you get asked about it after and you still lie. When you move down to like the Canadian tour that you were on, yeah. there's no cameras with you on every shot. Uh, no, no not every shot. There's, every there's cameras in certain places. Um, Is there? On the weekends especially, there's filming for sure. Okay. Um, but in terms of like rules officials and like playing the same way it's the exact same there's plenty of rules officials to go around if you have a situation where you need to bring someone in you just call you just tell the walking score who has a walkie-talkie and they'll call in a rules official and he's there in like two minutes but like more so in terms of like do you think a but, guy like patrick reed in the spotlight who's just like saying oh yeah i didn't really realize uh do you think that just opens the door for maybe guys on lower tours who don't have someone looking over their shoulder, who don't have a camera on oh, every I'm, shot cheating. On, when you get to like PGA tour levels, like Canadian tour, the corn tour yeah. and uh, like the show tour, there's uh, I don't think many guys are doing it, but like Patrick Reed got kicked off of two college teams for cheating. Really? So he all, like he already had a reputation of doing it and he's just continues to do it. So that's why that's why people are even more angry about it, because he's a guy known for it. And then that's the other yeah, that's the other part of it. So if it's a guy that's not Patrick Reed that like isn't really well standing and doesn't have a past reputation for yeah. it, it's I think it's seen a little differently for sure. But he got kicked off his I think he got kicked off of like his Georgia or Augusta State team. I don't know where he went for like not for like kind of being accused of cheating. And then it's happened a few years ago, and now it's happened again. So guys are like, this is not an accident anymore. As opposed to, like, if some guy, like, who, who, who has the best reputation on tour? Who? Or who's seen as the best, would you say? Like, like in if terms it's, of if, just, if like, a, guy, a nice if a guy, guy like, If a guy like Spieth did it, like, yeah, you could say, like okay, maybe, yeah, maybe it was an accident. But if you have, like, if it's go ongoing and ongoing for, like, five, ten years, it's not an accident I and mean, you need to like you need to be suspended or something like harsh needs to happen because it just ruins the integrity of like what the sport is basically based on because it is a sport where you're not being watched all the time a lot of the time right even on even on the pga tour there's not cameras on every single hole 
especially if you're not in a featured group. For sure. So you don't really know what's going on, but. It's a weird sport, right? Very weird. Do you think, uh, like, what's going through his mind that he thinks he can act, he can get away with something like that? Because that was so obvious. It's yeah, or do you I think know. it's just a met, like I know it's him and you hate him and a lot of people in the golf world hate him, so it's yeah. hard to give him the benefit of the doubt. But do you think it's just a brain fart being like, oh, I'm in a waste area, I can <sighs> ground my club, and he he thinks he's just grounding his club. That's that's yeah. I think that if it's any other player than Reed, that's might be what I think. Yeah. But, but he did, and he didn't do it once. He did it twice. He I moved know. the sand once. He put his club back down. He moved it again. Didn't he change clubs? And I don't know. Down, I don't know. It was it just down. like it was so <clears throat> obvious what was going on, and like you don't like I said before, you don't see like guys on tour and like LPGA players and Golf Channel analysis like chiming in, like reaming someone out, and they lost their minds. Like, Brandel Chambly went on, like, a 25-minute rant about how he needs to get kicked off the tour. <laughs> kicked off? It was like it was like a Happy Gilmore scene with uh, Shooter and Happy in the, in the tent. Doug, kick this guy off the tour. Do you, CBC has an article about it right now, and the title is Accusations of Cheating Dog Patrick Reed at President's Cup. Yeah. I People mean, are it, pissed. I love President's Cup, but, like, this whole thing has made it even more interesting to watch because the international guys hate Reed and now they've got like additional ammo because the American guys are defending him and then in the press room and then the international guys are going in getting asked the same questions and they're just laying into him <laughs> love to see it why is he so hated um the cheating he's stuff not, probably he's not a like he's not a very liked guy to begin with right. uh there's a bunch of stuff to go to do with his family um from the past like he has almost no relationship with his own family anymore oh really yeah um i think there was a story once about like his family came to watch him at a tournament when he was a pro and like he asked them like he got like security to ask them to leave and like kicked them out of the event and there was like a huge article about explaining why it happened and he's like a very I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that you just don't really like about him. And apparently he feeds off that energy, so good for him, but it's got to be hard when you're mm. the least liked person <laughs> in he's your sport. Like, he's pretty good, but he's not good enough to be as arrogant as he is. And the other thing, he he like he's he won the Masters. Like yeah. he's he's really good. Yeah. You don't you don't got to cheat. Yeah. <laughs> or does it put a little like taint on his wins though? Oh, I think yeah. for sure it does. Yeah. Cause you got this, you got this question of when there aren't cameras, what is he doing? He did it right in front of a camera. What do you think he's doing when there aren't any? <laughs> <laughs> he's probably like me in the rough <laughs> fluffing up his lie. Putting it on the got top. Scissors. Cutting <laughs> <in> the grass. <laughs> I've ripped tree branches off trees before. He also, swing? he also had a couple of like alcohol. Related incidents in the University of Georgia. Yeah. So some of his coast. Did he go coach, to Georgia or Augusta State? It or says Georgia. I think he went to both. Maybe, maybe. he moved to Augusta. Maybe State. he left he, Georgia. Yeah, I think I think he went to two different universities. <laughs> I could be wrong, but he was very disliked at both of them. Hmm. There's like cheating, theft allegations. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a good Just guy. All yeah. around great guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian tour this year, Mike. Yeah. 
I have a lot of questions. Do you want to start with just like a little recap? Yeah. Sure. So obviously the buildup to get on was yeah. big. Yeah. It was your second or third uh, Q school? Third. Third Q school? Yeah. And you played great? Yeah. Very good. Got my full full card. Sunday was fun because you had yeah. two mysterious I had, I had fans. Two, fan, <laughs> two fans show up for the end. We didn't show up for the end. No, you were there the so whole time. Just sneaking around I've the videoed trees. that. I have a video on my phone of you making that eagle putt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From in between two trees, and I like zoomed in as soon as you hit the putt, and I saw it go in the hole. Um, it was probably like the hardest golf year of my life, but the most fun. There's so much stuff you have to learn on the fly mm-hmm. on a tour like that in your rookie season that you can't really prepare for fully and like you kind of like figuring out all the travel stuff so making the cut on sunday uh, making the cut on friday playing saturday sunday flying to a new city monday morning playing a practice on monday pro-am tuesday practice on wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday fly out again and you're kind of figuring out the best way to do it so you can finish your round on sunday fly out sunday night and get there early or finish sunday fly out on monday morning and have less less time on monday mm-hmm. you can miss the cut on thursday figure out if you want to practice or miss the cut on friday figure out if you want to practice there on saturday sunday or if you want to fly out on the friday it's just a lot of things on the go that you have to learn even the the if you want to stay with other people while you do it or stay by yourself in hotels. There's a lot of planning that goes into it and not a lot of time to figure it out because you're always, your situation's always changing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can be on your very last hole on Friday not knowing if you're going to make the cut or not, so you can't really book book flights, book cars, anything like that until you know what's going on. Are most guys doing all that stuff themselves? I would say like 95% are doing it themselves. And does the tour help you out with that stuff at all? Yeah, there's uh there's like a call it like a PJ tour hotline or someone that you can phone to kind of get you the best deals on hotels, flights. We have uh, like uh PJ tour Canada has a WestJet contract and an air Canada contract that okay. we can use discount codes for. There's always like host hotels and host houses and you can stay with. So they do a really good job of setting you up, but you're in charge of figuring out what you want to do. Yeah. And every guy's different on if they're okay rooming with kind of strangers or guys they want to stay with or if they play better staying with themselves. I would say the majority of guys do whatever they can to make it the cheapest. Totally. Because even though it's like a PGA Tour sanctioned tour, the money isn't great until you're at the very top of it. If you win an event, you're set for the year. But even if you're coming like playing great golf, coming top 20, top 30 you're really like struggling financially most of the year. So it's a good building block, but it's not really a tour where you're making money. You're just learning. You're still learning until you, you know, make that next jump. And just the, like the number of guys that move on each year is so small. Only five. It's five. Yeah. Five. And then another. Out of 140 something. Well, there's a, each tournament has 150 guys, but I think there's like 220 guys with status. Okay. Um, 
and these aren't like scrubs. Like the get like the top fifteen twenty guys on the McKenzie Tour could be playing on the PGA Tour. Like even President's Cup was on in the background. There's like four or five alums that were on the McKenzie Tour a couple of years ago that are playing in the President's Cup now. So it's crazy how talented guys are, and that's your competition. So golf is like. Is there any other sport like golf where the the difference between like the absolute elite, the top ten in the world, and then like a guy on the McKenzie tour is so small? Like over a four say, round tournament, it's yeah, a shot or two. I would say maybe tennis is the only one like that. Hmm. I think that in golf, like the very, very, very top guys are usually like consistently on the top. Yeah. Like even when Rory has a bad week, he's like top ten, top fifteen. Yeah. And same, like, dude, I love tennis. So not to change the subject, but like Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal for I don't know how many years, 15 yeah. years, 20 years, they've been like one, two, three for that long. They have a bad tournament and losing the semifinals. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. They Like right. you can project them to make the semifinals in every single major. Yeah. It's insane. So is, is there like their skill base is that much better or do you think it's just consistency? I think their skill base is better and they're better between the ears and they've been in those situations more and more that they can just rely on stuff they've learned already it seems like tennis though the top guys are at the top more often than golf yeah i agree with that probably because it's you're playing against someone right yeah. so you're it's i think golf's the only maybe wrong it, i think it's maybe the only sport where it's individual that isn't against someone like it, Tennis is individual, but, but you still have playing against someone. It'd be like if golf was only match play, I think. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because totally. in, te- in tennis, you can still win by, mm. play- you can still win a match by playing shitty. If you play shitty in golf, you're not going to, it's still different though, because you're no, not, no, it's completely different. Even in match play, you're not playing directly against someone. Yeah. So like in tennis, you're trying to pick up on people's weaknesses yeah, for and sure. hit it to their backhand or whatever. Yeah. Whereas golf, it's, just another, there's no opponent, right? It's no, just you. Yeah, it's just you against the course, basically. You could shoot 61 in match play and lose, yeah. right? Yeah. Golf is so strange. <laughs> the idea of it is phenomenal, right? It's, you're out on this like perfectly manicured, gorgeous landscape. It's a great, dude. You're hitting it's this. a great sport. It just sucks. It's like, so hard. It's so frustrating. <laughs> How does that? Okay. <laughs> Mike's defending the game by saying it's a great sport, but it sucks. It's like, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, and because everything, like, I don't know. Like, day to, I think day to day it changes more than every single sport. Even, like, you were in Palm Springs recently. You can play great one day, and your swing is completely different the next, and you... The best, the, I think, the best guys in the world can are the best at diagnosing like their issues the fastest. Right. So they can they'll play great one day, they'll get onto the range the next day. They're not hitting it great, but they can figure it out really fast. Yeah. And they know why they're not playing great. Mm-hmm. And the very best guys like Tiger, Rory, they can figure it out like during a round. They don't need that extra range session to change it. You know, like yeah miss a few greens with hooks with slices they can you know figure it out right away be like okay this is what i'm doing i need to switch it and then they can trust it for the rest of the day and they don't need that you know one two hour practice session to to trust a swing change in the middle of their round 
there's just so many different aspects of it too that work totally independently. Like one day you'll have a ridiculously good putting day. Yeah. The next day you're hitting it great off the tee, but you can't putt where shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I putt so good two rounds out of seven in Palm Springs. So good. Literally everything inside 40 feet, I was literally hitting it on the lips. Yeah. And I probably, there was one round where I lipped out four birdie putts, which is as a guy that's not that good at golf. For Mike, that might be not very many, but for me, even to have four attempts at birdie is a lot. Yeah. So if I'm lipping out four, it's so frustrating. Yeah. But hitting exactly where I wanted to. There was a question that I wanted to ask you last time. Yeah. So how many days of the week is there a golf club in your hand? Eight. Yeah. So at least every day, <laughs> at least every day you're swinging. Yeah. yeah. That's a, even that's the thing about someone like Mike. Even if so, now he's kind of like getting through an injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's probably not hitting driver right. at the range every day. But he, even in Palm Springs, when Mike comes with us, he after rounds, he's mm-hmm. like on the carpet just putting. Right. Right. Like me and Alex are making ourselves stiff vodka sodas. Mike is like behind the sofa putting. I'll have a vodka soda in my hand, but I'll be, <laughs> I'll be practicing. Well, the reason I ask is like when I play college basketball, right? Yeah. The Monday practices after a Sunday off yeah. would always be the worst. Yeah. So, and golf is so much more like precise and yeah. fine, right? And it's uh, like one of the hardest things to do to like to figure out on the year on tour is like if you miss a cut. And you have to, and say you miss a cut, but you played well, it's hard to give yourself like a day off, even though you need it, because you feel like if you miss a cut, you did something wrong. You want to get right back at it and practice. But sometimes the best thing to do is to take that day off. Like say in, in, uh, in basketball, Mm -hmm. like if you have, if you have a bad day on the free throw line, Mm -hmm. usually a lot of guys in in the NBA, they probably spend, you know, an hour, two hours after their game shooting free throws to get ready. Which is great to do, but sometimes you just need that that time off to kind of reset. Because you know, like how to shoot a free throw. The yeah, you, you know, are there. yeah, exactly. But it's I think maybe more of a mental thing than a than a skill thing at that point. So you just give yourself a little you, bit of a you give yourself time. you give yourself that room to you know to just take a step back and not figure out what went wrong because you knew that pretty quick. But it's just nice to, to you know it's nice to have some time off but at the same time you have to be able to tell yourself that time off is the right thing to do as opposed to practice do you think a lot of guys or maybe just from your experience do you think the loneliness comes into play like if you're off let's say you miss a cut on friday yeah going to the range is almost like a soothing thing because you you have something to do rather than just going home being in a hotel for three the next three days and not doing it 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 is super nice it's it's really lonely at times like especially if like i went through a stretch where i missed three cuts in a row and i felt like i was playing pretty good and you are super lonely. Like you're in some random city yeah. in Winnipeg. You're in random <laughs> city. Like not that nothing's wrong with Winnipeg, but there's some things wrong. <laughs> you think, but uh, you know, you're in these you're in these places by yourself for the year. You're under financial stress. You're literally like playing for money to pay for the next week. Mm-hmm. You're not with your family. You're not with your girlfriend. You're not with your friends, and you need 
you know, I'm lucky to have the support that I do with my girlfriend and, and my family, but some guys don't really have that. Mm -hmm. And if you're missing, you know, two, three, four cuts in a row, everything is just adding up and it makes the next tournament that much harder. And if you're already like stressed out and pressing in golf, you're not going to be very successful. It's hard enough already. Especially when you're playing different courses, like how much, I'm assuming, how many other events were there? There was 12? There was 12. Two of them were in BC? So we go... Or three. Vancouver, Victoria, Kelowna. Okay, so three. Yeah, and then we go to Lethbridge, and then we go to Windsor, and then Toronto, Nova Scotia, and then we come all the way back to Edmonton and Calgary. Ooh, the scenic route of the tour. Yeah. So actually, that was that was my favorite. That was my favorite part. So you get uh, like a two week or one and a half weeks off between Nova Scotia and coming back out west. So I fly back to BC and then I drive to Edmonton and Calgary through Banff and everything. Yeah, and that's kind of nice to be by yourself through all that. It's like the nice. Did you drive by yourself? Yeah, it's like the nicest drive. Not maybe not it in the is, world, but it's, it's up super there. Nice. It's crazy. Yeah. Um. So nine tournaments outside of BC. Yeah. How many of those nine courses had you played before? Uh, zero. So you you have nine new courses. How much time do you spend, like, whether it's on the internet or going there on Monday and looking at the course for three days, like planning strategically uh, off the tee where yeah. you want to hit it? And I'll map out. I'll do like two or three hours of mapping out a course before I even get there. Just looking at holes online? Uh, I use Google Maps, and all there's like a feature where you can measure the distance between like tree line to tree line yeah. and everything like that. Because that's, that's another part of the rookie year where people don't really understand that guys have been out there for five to ten years already, and they've played those courses 20, 30 times already, right. and you're seeing it for the first time. So right. it would be like it'd be like me playing a tournament at VGC Versus guys that right. have never seen it before, right? It's mm -hmm. a huge advantage. Um, it's interesting. It's, mm -hmm. it's it's honestly me be, not being a professional golfer at all, not even close. Even in Palm Springs, like the courses that I played before, yeah. a bunch. I've been down there a lot, and someone like Brenton or Malcolm, who is maybe year one or two down there, yeah. I'm coming up to a hole that's like 380 yards or whatever. Yeah. And I have a foreign in my hand. They're like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, well, like, there's a bunker that you can't really see over there that I really don't want to be in. It's like 240. And I'm like telling them about the hole. <laughs> and they've got driver in their hand and they hit it literally in the bunker. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like such a big advantage for sure. Well, oh, it's are you allowed to use rangefinders on tour? We're allowed now. I think it's like the second year you've been allowed. And it's mostly for like pace of play just yeah. to make, make it a little quicker. Is PGA the only one that you can't? You can't. I don't think you can on the corn or the not on the corn yeah well whatever yeah. i call it web.com so yeah. what is it called corn uh, fairy corn fairy it's a weird name it's yeah. like an insurance company very or weird um <laughs> but yeah there's one thing i want to ask both of you okay so uh, uh for me like some of my biggest putts this year were worth like thousands and thousands of dollars yeah do you think that so other other than golf and individual sports, there's guaranteed contracts. Do you think performance in other sports would go down if your 
if you're if the money you earned was based on making shots or scoring goals or whatnot. So so if you if you had a, say say you make say you make fifteen million dollars a year in basketball, that's mm-hmm. your contract. But say instead of making fifteen million dollars a year, you have to make a free throw worth one or two million dollars, and nothing's guaranteed. It changes your mindset completely. Holy fuck! That's it's 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 not the best comparison, but it's kind of like that. I don't know how you would do it in team sports, just because there's so many other factors. I don't think you like, can, but it's an interesting thing to talk about because every single swing and putt yeah. you make literally determines how much money you make. Every athletic action. Every action yeah. you make on the golf course determines your salary. Right. But probably the guys that have that in their head are the ones that don't do well. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a it's a ridiculous sport. And it's uh, especially b- like grinding your way through the tours to get. Yeah. Even I guess the guys on Corn Ferry that are even middle of the pack are making a pretty good income. Once, right? once you get onto that, your sponsorship increases. So right. a lot of like you get paid by, you know, TaylorMade, your yeah. clothing sponsor, your advertising space, all that, which is really nice. But because, you know, it's not televised, there's not a ton of media on the McKenzie tour. There's not as many sponsors. There's not as many people giving you money. So you're basically playing for whatever the purse is. That's what you're going to make this week. It's basically like a cash poker game yeah. every week, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you go in negative money because yeah. you put money on the table <laughs> yeah. to play, and you're yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just hoping so, to get a few good hands, a yeah. couple good lies in the rough, or whatever. And the people yeah. like you understand this more than others. And a lot of my friends that they kind of know golf, but not really, they're like, oh, like you had a pretty awesome year. You got to travel throughout Canada, like living the luxury life. I'm like, no. Yeah, it cost you a lot <laughs> like, of money. To it do cost that. <laughs> me a lot of money. I'm like staying in rundown, like Airbnbs. I'm trying to save money. I'm eating shitty food. Mm-hmm. Like trying to do as much as I can so I can perform my best. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like it's super, super stressful. Grass is always greener, right? Like, no one really understands what someone else is going through. Yeah. Even the guys in the PGA Tour that are grinding it out. Yeah. Maybe they make a million dollars in winnings, but literally they're away from their family for yeah. 40 weeks a year. Yeah. They're super lonely in hotels. It's just like... It's a lonely It's a game. different lifestyle, yeah. right? It's very different. Yeah. Yeah. But... Relaying it to other sports, though, I, I just don't... I can't think of another sport where it would even... No, because even even traveling like in team sports, it's different when you have all your buddies on your team on a plane or Mm -hmm. or in a bus. It's a lot different than taking, you know, getting up at four in the morning, going to the airport by yourself and just like sitting there, like sleeping before your 6 a.m. flight and then getting off and going straight to the course alone, playing alone. It would be more like another human being, you know, for like two days. (laughs) (laughs) Even more like a musician almost. Yeah. Even like, uh, yeah. Musician would be perfect, like UFC fighters, but they have teams that they go with them, yeah. right? Yeah. Same with musicians, like they have a band, a band or, a, set, or a engineer guys. Or something. Yeah. 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 I guess like if you're a single musician, like just starting out your career, getting oh, yeah. like just playing in bars and stuff. Playing in bars and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I I love it, but it does it gets a little it's a little stressful and lonely at times. But sacrifice. What are your ways to get through that? Or being on the road for a year, what do you look back and be like, okay, well, next time I miss a cut for next year, yeah, and I'm in the hotel for two nights by myself, I'm I'm gonna spend more time doing this or whatever. Um, 
like is it podcasts? Is it reading? Is it practicing more? Is it going out and just like I love watching stuff. Yeah, like I I, I read a little bit, but I'm more visual. I love watching movies, watching series. But like honestly, you're you're alone a lot, so you you roll through series pretty quickly. <laughs> like it's hard to it's hard to find new stuff on Netflix that you haven't seen. Um, I listen to podcasts a lot, especially like driving the yeah. 12, 14 hours from here to Alberta or wherever. Um, and a lot of the podcasts you listen to are almost like practice in a sense because you're listening to, uh, like stuff that'll help your mental game. Totally. So it's not like a lot of the time you're listening to stuff that's fun and like entertainment, but a lot of the time you're listening to stuff that's going to help you as well. What, uh, podcast do you like for that for the mental stuff um there's a few that i listen to a lot i listen to bob rotella a lot which is like a putting guru so um, are most of them golf related some are golf um do you know what master class is yeah i've heard of it it's just like a bunch of like it's very famous people talking about you know how they do certain things and i like mm-hmm. that a lot um i like to lean I like listening to podcasts with people I haven't heard of, but I really take advantage of like people that are super successful in what they do and listening to how they got to where they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like not exactly the same as your podcast, but you like getting points of view from people that are successful in their craft. I kind of do the same thing um, and apply it to my, how I can apply it to how I see fit. Do you see any similarities between those successful people talking about their their startups and how they got to where they're? The most common thing I see is that they they basically bet on themselves more than anyone believes in them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like they, even if they have no supporters at all, they didn't really waver in thinking that they would be successful at any point in their life. Yeah, They just head down. They knew what they had to do to get to where they wanted to and they did it regardless of if they had support or not. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super important, especially in golf. Like if you, if you don't believe in your own skill set, even if you're the most talented person in the world, you're not going to make it. Yeah. That it's pretty similar to like just not hearing negativity. Yeah. So like no matter if you're starting a business or a podcast or it's your first year on the McKenzie tour. Yeah. Like there's going to be a lot of people that are like, Oh, that, that Mike kid from BC is not that good. Like he's only going to be out here a year or two. And the, it's really easy to listen to that it stuff, is, right? For sure. Cause it happens all the time. And it's, and it's super, super easy to listen to it when you are playing bad. Right. That's, that's the hardest part. Hmm. So, I mean, it's probably the same with you when you like, I don't know if you've heard this, but if, you start a podcast and people are like, Oh, why would you, why would you start a podcast? Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. It's like, cause I like, I want to, yeah. <laughs> it has literally nothing to do with you. Yeah. You know, the, I heard this stat somewhere. I do not have data to back it up, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, the average podcast lasts seven episodes. So people start them. So people, they do a few episodes a, like a and then little they hobby just like, and then they're like, oh, I don't have a million followers yet. And they give up. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's how life works. Yeah. 
Isn't that f- like, it's so funny to be good at anything. You need to do hunt like tens and of yeah. thousands of times, right? Yeah. Like how many fucking golf swings have you? Uh, I don't even want to count. Like that's insane. 10 million more. Yeah. This is something, <laughs> you, like, you, can, you, you can look this up. I think Greg Norman has a stat. If you Google it, uh, just type in how many, how many golf balls has, or does Greg Norman thinks he's hit? And it's like a, it's an insane amount. Really? Yeah. Mike, would you like to Yeah, I'll have a little talk about things. Uh-oh, Carl, Carl, something's happening with my boom here. It's falling off the table. <laughs> like, millions and millions of range balls. Just a stupid amount. Just, like, absolutely insane. But, I mean... I love it. <laughs> Can you talk to me a little bit about like the money side? Yeah. So like, do you want to know about the sponsorship side of it? I want to or... know everything. So I want to know like when you're on the McKenzie tour, yeah. do you pay for tournaments? How much do they cost? Yeah. Uh, like what is your average week look like in terms of hotel flight, yeah. rental car, so tournament cost, and then like also sponsorship side, how do you get sponsors? How does it change from like McKenzie Tour versus Corn Ferry? Yeah. Uh, so, a full year, and this is me doing it cheaply with like cheap hotels, staying with friends when I can, costs about 20000 That's everything included? And this is, flight, uh, hotel. This is flights, cars. flights, rental cars, entry fees, et cetera. Do you like find a few friends and say, hey, we, I'm going to rent a car in oh, Toronto yeah, next week? Almost everybody splits hotel fees and splits rental fees. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, the entry fee per tournament is not very big. Okay. So it's 275 Okay. to play each week. But still, uh, if you play 12 and that, times. That's, and for, make, that's for a member. I think it's like 400 for a non-member. Like for a Monday qualifier? For, yeah. So, and... It's the Monday to go into a Monday qualifier costs more than the actual tournament fee. It's like three hundred and fifty bucks for a, for a one day, and then it's two seventy five for the actual event. And would that person that qualifies Monday? They'll get, how many are there? Uh, eight out of like one hundred fifty. One hundred fifty. Yeah, eight out of one hundred fifty. Do those people pay? Th- 350 to play they that get, and then 275. They'll, no, they'll get refunded like the uh, 75 or 50 bucks, whatever gotcha, it is. Okay. Um, Are the, all of that entry fee stuff for Monday qualifiers, that's what pays the winners out, basically? Uh, most of the purse comes from like the title sponsor for the event. Okay. So, Canada, I think it's, uh, yeah, Canada Life Financial, Freedom 55 Financial, they're like the tour's main sponsor. Okay. Um, and then each each tournament has like their main sponsor that puts most of the money towards uh, the purse. Um, so in Victoria, it's like Bayview. In Kelowna, it's Golf BC. Um, there's just a bunch of companies that like support golf or yep. they want their name out there, and they'll put up most of the money. Um, like the Travelers Championship. Yeah, exactly. So, whenever you see a, a yeah. title sponsor like that, that's where most of the purse is coming from. Okay. So let's say all-in cost for a year doing it fairly inexpensively is about twenty grand. Twenty, yeah. 
That's including your tournament fees, that's, hotels, cars. That's fees, flights. cars, flights, food. Okay. Yeah. And how does the sponsorship sponsorship stuff work? So I, um, a lot of guys have like people from their host club that once you get on tour, they're like, I'm going to help you out and further your career. I had a lot of uh, family friends that I knew that chipped in to help me out. I approached a few other people with some bigger companies that helped me out that I got in touch with. I did it in a way where I put their company logo on my hat and on my bag and on my shirts and stuff. And for like advertising space, I would charge them a certain amount. Some guys do it where they receive money from a sponsor and then the sponsor will receive money back from them based on where they finish in tournaments. So it's like if you come in first to fifth, I get 20% of that. If you come in 20th, 30th, I get 15% of that. Kind of like that. I didn't I didn't want to go that route because the money that I made, I wanted to keep. Um, so I all of my sponsors were just... Uh, like advertising space. So my three big ones were Take 5, Vision Pros, and Precision OS. So I have that on my hat here. Oh, there's a sweet hat, actually. Yeah. Um, and then each event I went to, I just wore everything that you know represented their company and their brand. And they gave me a, an amount of money based on the space that I gave them. Okay. And then what about like golf sponsor stuff? Like, do you, uh, so is I'm, it kind of like getting out of high school it's, and trying to get into university and sending the mixtapes? Honestly, like, no, it's like, it's like you, honestly, once you get your, I, I might've talked about this on the other podcast. So I was a very similar player last year to this year, but yeah. as soon as you have a little card that says PGA tour member, yeah. people are way nicer at responding to emails from you. Yeah. So I've sent out, I've sent out like dozens of dozens of emails to companies that didn't respond back to me. And then as soon as I could, I was like, Hey, I'm a PGA tour member. Uh, my year starting, I'm looking for a club sponsor or shoe sponsor, ball sponsor, whatever they respond right away. And they're like, yeah, we'd like to help you out. Or this isn't right for us right now. So I got in with a uh, Titleist for shoe ball glove, which is huge. They give me like a couple dozen boxes per event, some gloves per event. A couple dozen per event. Yeah, I got like three or four dozen per event. Wow. And like golf balls now aren't cheap, dude. They're no. like sixty dollars, sixty bucks. The Provies are like sixty nine ninety nine. Yeah, maybe? so yeah, for twelve balls. Twelve balls. So, so it's you know, it's, it's like two. It's like three. You're like ball, saving two hundred fifty, three hundred dollars a week from just getting balls alone. Yeah. Then you get shoes, you get hats, you get gloves. It really, really helps. And then the hardest, the hardest thing to get like a full sponsor for is clubs because that's the biggest cost. As soon as you get onto like the Corn Ferry Tour, the PJ Tour, everything, all that stuff's paid for. But Mackenzie's a little harder. But I'm lucky to know a few good people from Mira um, that have helped me out for a while. So I've been playing their stuff for five or six years now. Isn't that like some of the best stuff in yeah, the world? Yeah, it's too? amazing. Yeah. So good. I know Thierman. <laughs> he just bought a set, didn't he? He did. They cost quite a bit of money, yeah. but they're 
gorgeous. I've never hit one. I yeah. don't know how they feel, but I'm assuming they feel good. Beerman like individually wrapped every <laughs> one of his club heads before he put it in his travel bag yeah. to go to Palm Springs. It was pretty comical. <laughs> but I guess if you're making that investment, you might as well. Yeah. Uh, balls. Balls. You get three or four dozen. Yeah. I'm assuming a, a, a pro-type player like yourself doesn't go through four dozen balls in the round. Yeah. But so, how often do you change balls? Because uh, I... Uh, I'll you watch PGA and they like switch after a couple holes because it gets beat up. Right? Yeah, I, I I switch every nine holes. Nine, regardless of what shape it's in. That's just a rule that I have. So is I'll it a mental thing? Uh, not a mental thing. Just it. I, I guess what if you're like thing. six under on the front nine? Are you keeping that ball for the back? Uh, no, because I don't like the superstitious stuff. Huh. I have like a set routine that I go through, regardless if I'm playing good or bad. When I switch my ball, it's kind of like a mental reset. Um, are most guys on Canadian tour similar to that? Everyone has their own thing. Like one of the craziest stories this year is that the guy that won the tournament in Lethbridge played the same ball for 72 holes, the entire event. And it was beaten up, <laughs> like scuffed, cart path, broken, ripped. He played it for all 72. Just superstition? Super, just superstition. Yeah. He won the tournament. He won the, he won the event. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's very... It's, I wouldn't say it's smart, but you do what you do. How much does a scuffed golf ball affect it? its uh, I, performance? I think though? it's more in your head that it affects it. Like, the little bit of scuff doesn't help. As soon as, like, the cover starts to rip a bit, yeah. that's when it, it kind of fucks it up a little. Do you think it affects it? Like, what quality of player... What scores do you need to be putting together where that affects I mean, it? Maybe like half a shot around. Like yeah. it doesn't affect it that much, but it adds up over time. Yeah. Because for some, but I think it's the, it's more the mental thing about it. Like if you see a scuff on your ball, and you're like, oh, this might another make, excuse. This to, might make know. my ball go left or right. That's way more harmful than what the ball is actually doing mm -hmm. itself. Sure. Fuck everything is so <laughs> mental, man. Yeah. Oh my god. I feel like guys, like if you were superstitious, it would just be too oh, much. I and I used to be when I was growing up as an amateur. I had to do things like, I had to do things like, go to bed at this time, yeah, like wake yeah. up at this time. I had to go to the practice range. This show up to my tea time. Listen to this music, and I started playing my best. And I was like, I'm just going to live my life exactly the same as I always have, and just like make sure that I'm at my like what I can do to be at my peak performance level, I'll do. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I'll just live my life the same. Like I love going to movies, going to the theaters. I'll go see a movie like almost every week when I'm on tour Good by time. myself, just to like, just to relax, yeah. just to get out of the hotel room and like do something I like that I do at home. Yeah. Um, and bef like, I used to be like, okay, I have a tournament tomorrow. I can't go out. I can't have a drink. I can't do this. And like, when you start, putting like that specific type of rules on yourself you're just kind of like changing what got you in that position in the first place yeah totally but i know i know other guys that are like i know other successful people that are super like super duper superstitious it's like having a 
And I, I understand it in a sense where you have a routine, like mm-hmm. on the free throw line, you'll yeah, probably, you, sure. do, you do the same thing every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Same as golf. You'll have like a pre-shot routine that you try to do every We're single time. But that's, right? I think that's a little different than like just living your life the same way and then also playing tournaments yeah. as opposed to living your life around having tournaments. It would be more like the night before a football game. Yeah, I'm not gonna get pissed. Dr- pissed I'm not gonna get pissed drunk before an event, but yeah. like I'll have a few beers with friends just to like enjoy myself and yeah. reduce my stress levels and whatnot. Do you think sure. that's almost even uh, like better for your performance? I think to I, be stress free. I think it's way way better. Yeah. way better. I'll always try to do something I enjoy like the night before a tournament. Probably makes you sleep better too. Like going it's, into a big event, so you're probably good. so nervous like, as it is, right? It very. And probably the, the most nervous, even more nervous than I was for Q school was my first tee shot, like in Vancouver in front of like friends and family. And, uh, fucking striped. It, <laughs> it was awesome. It's funny that it, like got, it's interesting to even talk about is just like guys at your level who obviously have hit many more straight drives than me. Yeah. Percentage wise. <laughs> Just like the nerves are still there. So for me, the first tee shot in Palm Springs, especially if you're at a course where like the, you can see the first tee from the pro shop or something. There's always like a little bit of uh, that like nerves inside. Mm -hmm. But someone like Mike, who's hit like tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of like mint 320 yard drives down the middle. Yeah. It's funny that that nerve is still there. Oh yeah. Well, even... So these are like 24 of the very best players in the world in the President's Cup. Yeah. And on the first tee, because it's like a little bit different and you're playing for your country per se. Right. They're like some of the tee shots this morning off the first tee were terrible. Like you'll never, ever see them hit shots like that. And they did anyways. And they're the very best at their craft. It's such a weird and, sport, But man. like we said before, I think the very best people in the world can handle i think they feel the nerves like everybody else but they can switch their mind to something different and kind of calm themselves yeah. faster or better than other people like right now justin thomas is hitting a tee shot on a par three from 196 which is a long par three <laughs> and how looks, many people it looks are watching? good there's probably a thousand people watching right now yeah that was classy yeah that's a different experience than playing on Sunday afternoon at the country club with your buddies. It's way, 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 way different. Even like in my, like my worst experience this year is when, is, was the third last tournament of the year. And I was outside the number for keeping my card. And I was in the, I teed off in the third last group of the event. So I was in like 11th place, I think. And I hadn't really experienced nerves like that before. And I shot, first three days, I shot 66, 66, 70, 67, I think. And the last day, there was more people watching it, like, really, really mattered for me keeping my card, which is basically all you want to do at that point. And I played the worst round I had played in, like, four or five years and had a terrible finish. And it wasn't that my skill set was any different. I just didn't handle the moment properly and part of that is on me but i think part of it is also that you have to get into those situations more and more to know how to deal with it because you can put all the 
all the mental exercises you train with, with the sports psych and everything you read and whatnot mm. into play, but you can't really practice it until you're in those moments and you feel, you know, the sweaty hands, the heartbeats increasing, mm. you know, you're kind of like, oh shit, what if this happens? What if this happens? And you can do as much practice as you want, but you can't really train yourself for it until you're in those situations. Do you think there's guys out there that just don't feel the same thing? I think there's uh, 100% different levels of anxiety and stress and yeah. feeling nervous for sure. Um, and some people are just built differently. Not in, the not, majority is that. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel at the same time, any like public speaking is like a big fear. Yeah. And I'm sweating. Like literally, my face is sweating. Yeah. It's not like armpits where you can hide with a dark yeah. shirt. It's like your face. <laughs> yeah. And and a lot of that is a lot of it is practice. Like yeah. but a lot of it is getting in those situations more and learning from it. What's the what's the biggest shot or biggest sports event you've had in your life where it made you feel a lot different than previously? I played in in Oklahoma against the University of Oklahoma in front of 14,000 people. Yeah. That was pretty crazy. Yeah. Biggest free throw, biggest shot, Carol? Jeez, I don't know. That's tough. It's been a lot, but I know exactly what you mean. But like the as as many as many free throws as you shoot, yeah. you can't you can't recreate nope. the exact feeling of doing mm -hmm. it in front of 14,000 people in the biggest game. Yeah. You can do as much as you can to prepare for that but you don't really know what it's like until you get into it. So it was uh, very depressing for a couple weeks, knowing that I had a chance to do something that I wanted to do and failed at it, but definitely will make me a lot better when I get into that situation again. Can you talk to me a little bit about, like, in round, mm -hmm. what's going through your head prior to a shot like what's your pre-shot routine what's going through your head what like three four or five i don't know how many things do you think about so have you, have you caddied for me before no so alex has a couple of my buddies have i have like one very specific rule for people that caddy for me is that we're not allowed to talk about golf between shots you can talk to me about literally anything in the world but but like that two minutes between each shot, hmm. I want to take my mind off of it completely. And then when I get to my pre-shot routine and over the ball, I want to basically hyper-focus for that 15 seconds and hit. And then once the ball is gone, then you can talk to me about anything else. Because if you try Multiple to... Multiple questions there. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you try to focus on your golf game for the four hours that you're out there and super focused, it is exhausting. Yeah. Like you can't do it. So I take my mind off of it when I can, and I enjoy myself. And then when I have to focus, I do. Do you do you allow or ask caddies or anything to talk about golf during that shot process? Uh, if I need confirmation on something, I'll ask them, but only if they like know what they're talking about. And because like. <laughs> If like if you have if you have somebody that doesn't know golf, I'm not going to be like, so what, what club should I hit here? Yeah. <laughs> but like if it's you or Alex or somebody that knows golf, be like, how much do you think the wind is going to affect it? And we'll kind of 
agree or yeah. talk about something that's going on and then we'll come to a consensus. But you don't want a situation where you think one thing and your caddy thinks another and then you get over the ball and you're like right. kind of in between what you should do. I can, so I'm thinking Alex specifically, but I think in some situations you'd be excellent. Like the three I think or four but, minutes I, but in between, between shots, shots. Alex is so good. He has a ridiculous amount of meaningless things to talk oh, about. Oh yeah. I'll give him that. <laughs> but like if you're, on a tee box and you're thinking of hitting driver or your two iron thing, whatever the hell you have that you hit 270 fucking jumps. Like, about. Alex, what club should I hit? I'd be like, no, all his response. Archibald picked up a stick in the forest today. <laughs> no, I think over the, yeah, that is actually true. But over the, over, uh, in the golf talk, he would just throw out something stupid, like tee it high and let it fly. <laughs> yeah. And like Alex, you're not helping. And I, uh, I really appreciate like caddies that aren't super serious, but yeah. I need a mix. Yeah. Like I need someone that will be like Alex in between, but when I need like them to ask him a question, they can figure out the situation and be like, okay, not to make a joke here. Like he really needs my opinion on something. How do you do that? I'm assuming multiple tournaments outside of bc you don't have caddies i carry my own bag for like seven of the 12 events just because so, the people that are assigned to you you don't really want on your bag mm. and the funniest thing is the people that volunteer to caddy are like really good players from that home course so they yeah. know they know a little bit more than you if you haven't seen the course before so they know the little subtle breaks but they'll be like the like the two, three, four, or five handicaps that play on weekends where they're like kicking their ball and taking five footers and they think they're way better than they are. <laughs> and they're like, in another, they're like, in another life, I could have been on the PGA Tour. Yeah. And they think they're so good that they're like trying to coach you through what you should do. And, and that's the worst. That's right? the worst yeah. caddy. I had it once this year and that's why I started carrying my own bag. So there's so, there's so many like that where you basically have to say before the tournament starts, they're like, I only want you to carry the bag. And if I need you to say something, I'm going to ask you. Mm -hmm. Especially like a tee shot you haven't seen or something. Yeah. Like there's multiple in Palm Springs where I hit a great drive yeah. and I'm in a creek. Yeah. Because you can't see it you off the tee. And it's a little bit different on tour because you've played three practice rounds. Sure. So you know exactly what's coming. Sure. So you don't really need them to tell you what's going on. But yeah. there's certain things where you would want some confirmation that they're helpful. But a lot of the time, the caddies you get are way overly active and you're like lining up to hit a putt and like it breaks two inches left and you're like no it doesn't and but even with them saying that even if you believe you know the right read it's like oh maybe he's right and it's like it's as soon as you have like two different opinions you're kind of fucked it's the worst i completely know what you mean because yeah. even in my own head when i'm reading putts yeah. and like talking about putting specifically i'm reading putts i'm like I'm like 87% sure that it's going to break like three balls to the left. Yeah. And then you get on top of the ball and you're like, fuck, it looks pretty straight. Yeah. <laughs> and then you hit it straight and you're like, damn it, it broke three balls. Left. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, that's actually, that's really interesting. Yeah. How, so how do you get your mind away from golf in between shots when you're, uh, I like to talk about bag? music. No, but when you're carrying your own bag. Oh, when I'm carrying my own bag. If you're by yourself. Oh, I, I kind of, I have, I have kind of a weird mind. Like, Let's hear this. I'll think, I'll think, I think of a lot of different stuff. Give me some examples. <laughs> um, 
Oh, huh, that's a good question. I should have wrote down. I would have should have wrote some stuff down. <laughs> but I'll, I'll think of anything. Like my favorite thing to do on. I love to I love to bet sports. So I'll like yeah, I know. I'll like you know I'll, I'll think about like things I'm going to bet on the weekend. I'll think about what teams I should bet on. What players will have good games. And are you uh, consciously doing this? Like. It's hit very, a tee shot down the middle, go pick up your bag, and you're like, okay, I need to think no, about something No, it's else. very unconscious, but that okay. take, took a lot of practice. Okay. And, like, the hardest the hardest places to do that is when you hit a bad shot totally. off the tee or to the green, and you're, like, in your honor, you're like, you fuck, you suck. Like, you need to get to your ball, see if you have a good lie, see if you have a shot. And you're, like, kind of rushing, mm-hmm. and that's the time where you have to, like, really take a step back and take your mind off of it. and like if yeah it's just that's such a good point yeah it's not it's not it's not the times where you hit good shots that you have to tell yourself to like relax it's a time where you're playing bad and you're hitting bad shots that you have to just calm yourself down the most anxious i get when i'm on the golf course is when i hit a. it's usually a tee shot for me when i hit a tee shot and I'm, I don't know whether I'm going to find it or not. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm <Yeah>. like, <laughs> yeah. if you're in a car with someone, you're like, fuck, can you just hit your tee shot? Jesus Christ, what is taking so long? Why yeah. is this guy taking so long to hit this golf ball? Yeah. Because you just want to drive up there and exactly. find the ball, right? Exactly. Mm. Um, Go-to topics are sports betting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love. Heavy especially majority. Basketball, football, especially. I know you're super into basketball. Yeah. You didn't know? No. Yeah. Huge basketball guy. Interesting. Yeah. You're a Philadelphia guy, right? Yeah. Your team. Sixers guy. I don't it, it, think I've uh, watched an NBA game other than the Raptors uh, finals last year in 12 so, years. So I know that you're biased towards football a little bit. Uh, yeah, extremely. Yeah. Um, Golf and football. In terms of the best product from game to game and from week to week, the NBA is hands down the best. Like to bet on? like Not to bet on. I'm talking about like the production of the actual event. Mm-hmm. So football, my issue with football now is that if you're, unless, if you don't have a team you want to watch, like you watch Seahawks games, do you watch other games as well? Uh, they can get not extremely a lot. boring on TV. It's like kickoff commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Run a play commercial, timeout commercial, and it's like, holy fuck, just show some plays. Mm-hmm. And the thing that like I love about basketball and people love about basketball is like there's four or five minutes of like constant play and constant action and scoring and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then there's short timeouts and then you're back to the action. Whereas football, it's kind of like stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And I love it when I'm watching a team that I like, but I find the product really hard to enjoy if you don't have money on it or if you're just like watching two random teams. Right. Like I'm not going to watch, I'm not going to watch the bills versus the Titans just cause it's on. I don't think I could name one person on the bills or the Titans. Yeah. Currently. Honestly, for me, football, obviously I'm very Seahawks biased. Yeah. And Seahawks games, I watch every single play. Yeah. I don't know if in the last 10 years I've watched a game every single play that didn't involve the Seahawks. Yeah. So I know what you mean. It's just for basketball, for me, the games don't mean anything a lot of the year. I agree. I, I There's also, so many games. I also kind of like the 
I like the narratives in basketball. Like, I love that people hate LeBron. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that the stars move between teams a lot. Yeah. Kawhi came to Toronto, won a championship, and left. I think the NBA like showcases the personalities they, the they most, right? Oh my god! Especially on social media nowadays, yeah. they do such a good job of promoting the people that they know will get likes and they know will get comments and whatnot. You could spend you fuck. Whenever LeBron does something, regardless of how cool it is, it can be it can be a sick dunk, and he'll and the first comment you'll see on Twitter is like. MJ would have done this better. <laughs> and people just get down this rabbit hole of like bickering and arguing about stuff that doesn't matter, but I love it. And like, and football has that a little bit, but I don't think there's, I don't think they're as good at like promoting certain stories and aspects of the game that will bring in more people. Do you think they have to though? Because really, football isn't a North American sport. The NBA is probably more global than football, right? Yeah, for sure. But football football's doing a pretty good job of like the overseas games mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But I think basketball reaches a larger audience because it's still huge in Europe. Huge in Europe, huge in China. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, the thing with football, too, is like the teams are so big. Guys are in full gear, right? So sure. you, you, like the, you don't see their faces when they're playing yeah. or whatever. And then the, the, the difference in positions, right? Yeah. Like wide receivers, running backs, so you can get way more likes, way more like attention than linemen. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's so true. And if you, go through, if you go through like every lineup, I could probably give you QB running back and two receivers from every team, and I couldn't give you a single lineman. Mm -hmm. And they're on the they're playing every single play yep. that everybody else is. But there's so many more people on the field in football that like don't matter. Yeah, you know that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas football, I think basically, unless you're a quarterback or a really high end running back or like a top three receiver, you're not promoted at all. Is it? Well, is it up to you or is it up to the league to promote? Uh, I mean, I think just people being attached and making uh, yeah, connections. Yeah, I think, I think, I think, it's, I, I think if the league wants more people attached to it, I think they have to do a little bit of a better job. But I don't know. I guess the NFL's way of caring about the stars is just to change the rules, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can't hit, you can only hit the quarterback between their upper yeah, thigh. I, I can't and their even nipple. get into the refing this year. <laughs> Dude, there's so many things you can talk about in NFL yeah. right now. Yeah. There's so many crazy rules changes. For sure. The PI um, challenge is just a, such a gong show yeah, right now. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I even know the stat, but like from a couple weeks ago, it was like two out of like 35 PI challenges had been overturned. It was way and, more than And that. every single time a coach challenges it, it is 100% PI, yeah, and they won't overturn always. it. <laughs> so Seahawks Social Podcast, we yeah. did like a 15-minute talk about this, and I think it was like maybe in week nine or something like that, Carl, we did it. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was four had been overturned out of 59 challenges. Four out of 59? Yeah. And yeah. so I Googled what is the definition of being able to overturn it. And the, the wording... Is it is like conclusive no. evidence? That's a regular challenge. Okay. The PI challenge is different. The PI challenge word is egregious. It has yeah. to be oh, egregious. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I Google egregious. And so I read it on the podcast. It, it means 
shocking <laughs> or like comma outstandingly bad. So basically like the Saints game from last year in the playoffs. That's oh literally why God. they brought yeah. it in, right? Yeah. But the wording is just so funny. Well, I don't even, why even bring it in if you're not going to use it at all? Because that I think it, it almost pisses people off more than not having it, than having it. Mm-hmm. And because you, you go through the replays, it, yeah. And then not doing anything about it. Because the, the announcers and the teams and the coaches are like, okay, that's P.I. Mm-hmm. Even who, Gene Sterator, the the in-booth uh, rules official is like, yeah, that's P.I. And then they'll come on the field, they're like, play upheld. And you're <laughs> like, like, what? Like, what are you it's talking about? It's such a about? judgment call. So then like... Because if they start overturning more of them, yeah. So let's say it's twenty of fifty nine instead of four of fifty nine. Then where did the challenges stop? Right? I Can know. you challenge holding? Can you challenge face mask? Can you challenge? Well, they even fuck, like when the NFL brought it in. So did the NBA. They coaches have one challenge now in the NBA, and it's the exact same problem. The exact they're not same. overturning they're anything. Not overturning it. So why even do it? And I don't. I honestly don't know if it's a. I have a question. Do you think it's that? Do you think it's refs don't want to admit that they're wrong, or do you think that they're just applying the rule how they think it should be? It's definitely not they're applying the rule how they think it should be. Yeah. I think it's, um, like, I guess the wording for the NFL is how they want it to be changed, right? If it was a shockingly bad missed call, like that Saints game last year, then it's going to be overturned. If it's a, in the heat of the moment, in the actual time, if it's a borderline call, they're not going to change. No, it, right? I agree, but I honestly think like I watch so much football, and it's pretty easy to tell if something is like a fifty-fifty judgment call, and yeah. if something is pi. Yeah. And the refs are looking at the exact same replays as I am. And I'm like, that's pass interference. That's not. And if it's a judgment call, I'm like, whatever. But there's so many times where you're like, that is obviously cheating, <laughs> and the rules officials come back and they're like. No pass interference. And it's like, like what are you looking at? It drives, well, it drives me nuts. We had this conversation on the Seahawks podcast too. Is like, is the NFL rigged? Are the refs... <laughs> no, seriously. Oh, seriously though. Know, are they I, trying I, I, to develop I, weaker markets so that they can make more money? I think they're trying to promote certain storylines that they think will sell better. Absolutely. Right, like no one gives a shit about Seattle. Yeah. I get it. I've understood this for a long time. <laughs> Russell Wilson is a better quarterback than anyone in the league right now. I don't think that is comparable. But Lamar Jackson's the new fancy kid. Yeah. So they're gonna give the MVP to him, right? I I know. It's there's just, so many things like that. That's a that's a discussion for another day. Why? Because I'm going to talk for four hours about it. <laughs> you got the appointment. What time? Uh, Eight o'clock? Yeah. Oh, we got lots of we time. We got lots of time. <laughs> we could literally talk about NFL. Yeah. I just, I love the sport so much. I think the 16-game season is it's phenomenal. Amazing. I think a lot of leagues would benefit from shortening seasons. Mm-hmm. And I think... Owners a wouldn't lot like of it, league. though. I don't think... Yeah, they wouldn't... Because I guess... Like, what does the it, NBA it, it, get? Right. Even, even the bad teams probably get, like, 15,000 people to a game. Yeah, some 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 places are, like, just over, like, 10 or 11. Like, Atlanta and Charlotte and some other places are really bad. But 
it's still profit as opposed to if you don't run a game at all. Right. They have the stadium because there. It's, not, it's just a fixed cost for them. They don't lose money by just having empty seats. Exactly. So. Baseball too, I man. Get it. Like, I cannot watch a baseball game until late August. Like, but here's my, here's <laughs> like my other thing about it. If you shorten a season to, say, like 60 games, that, I would guess, would fill the stadium more. If there's less games, probably. But the if probably the total number of tickets goes down. Yeah, tickets will be more expensive. Tickets are more expensive. Yeah, like the NFL is ridiculous. Dude. Yeah, to get into a Seahawks game right now, to sit in the last row of the upper deck, which is not a great seat. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's where most of the games I've been to have been. It's 120 it's, so, US. it's nice and loud up there, though. Yeah. It's a good good atmosphere. But it's $120 US. So yeah. Canadian, what is that? $160, $170? Yeah. It's a lot of money. To get in the lower bowl for that Monday night game that I went to was 230 Yeah. I just like it's three hundred and twenty dollars Canadian. If you are a borderline or bad NHL or NBA team, you have forty one home games each. Why would you want to go to every single one of them? That's just too many. It's it and it's a time commitment, it's a lot of it's a money commitment, it's so much. So I think if you if you lower the regular season a bit, I think it makes the league a little bit better. And I think you get away from all this like sitting out for rest bullshit that happens in well, those mm-hmm. leagues. That was the point you I was going to make is it it will prolong the stars careers, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Playing 82 games in a season That's is crazy. insane. If that goes down to 50? Yeah. Like someone like well, LeBron's just going to do whatever he wants cuz Kawhi, Kawhi started that more than anybody in the uh, <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, last year. Sit like uh what do they call it? Um the man- time Healthy management scratch. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> load management. Yeah, that's, a, oh, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. They say load management. So he'll play he'll play a game where he plays like thirty six minutes and they'll have a back to back and be like Kawhi Leonard already ruled out for tomorrow for <laughs> rest. Like, what are you talking about? And then you bought tickets to that game a long ass time ago that, and then No, that's that's another thing that the league hates. Yeah. So if so I live in Phoenix from like January to March and I'll buy tickets for certain games i want to see like i want to go see lebron i want to go see Giannis, and because phoenix has been so bad they'll like rule the stars out after i've already bought tickets and people are pissed like understandably so because you're going to those games to see those people and then they get but what did your ticket cost 20 bucks (laughs) well phoenix is amazing yeah i've gone to games there for like seven bucks (laughs) are you serious seven dollars yeah you get to see guys like lebron you get them on you get them on uh the la games are more but like if you go to a market, so Giannis is just a huge star now, yep. but Milwaukee isn't a huge franchise, so you can go see him for like fifteen bucks. You'll buy an upper <sighs> row seat in the stadium, so so it's so uh, not filled that you just go down to the lower bowl and watch. Remember, it's amazing! I remember when Turris was playing in uh, Arizona in Phoenix, yeah, and he told me that they they had this deal. Like I don't know if it was a specific day of the week, like maybe Sunday games or something like that, but you could get parking, a ticket. A hot dog and a beer for twenty dollars US. <laughs> That's amazing. What a party, man! That's crazy. Just trying to get people to show up. Yeah. yeah. Guess who's the best attendance in the NBA? Best attendance, mm-hmm. Toronto. Close. Boston Celtics. It's your team. Philly. Actually, Philly. I, I knew that. 
So Philly averages just over 20,000 yeah. people a game. Yeah. And then the last place is are the Timberwolves with just under 15,000. So it's still well, not, that's that not bad. bad. I would have thought it was Charlotte. Charlotte 15 Charlotte. is the lowest? That's pretty yeah. good. That's really good. Charlotte's next. <laughs> yeah. I played a game in that stadium, eh? In the uh, Hornets stadium? No, Timberwolves stadium. Oh, yeah. Mm. Minnesota. When we... Uh, North Dakota. The Timberwolves, they got a couple superstars. That's weird. I know. That's that. That's actually really surprising that maybe people just don't want to leave their houses when it's minus thirty. I uh, so <laughs> from, from October to like February, it's just a frozen tundra. In Minnesota. I went to North Dakota for a year, right? Yeah, and I have a buddy that played in the basketball team that I maybe chat with. I don't know once every few months. He's a realtor in Fargo, North Dakota, right now. Like and so I was messaging the, this morning. Yeah, it's minus twenty Fahrenheit there today. Oh my gosh! And I was like, I was just guessing what it is here, but I was like, that's oh, a cool forty-five degrees <laughs> <Yeah>. today. <laughs> yeah, it's just different fucking life, man. Going outside of the house is a chore. So yeah. minus twenty degrees Fahrenheit is minus thirty in Celsius. Yeah, yeah. Why would you want to leave? But it was ten degrees today in Burnaby. So what was that? What's that Fahrenheit? Oh man, this math. Maybe 40? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like somewhere that. around there. 40, yeah. I said 45, but. That's crazy. Whatever, I lied. 50. 50? Oh, I underestimated. I should message him. Thomas. <laughs> Sunny over here. Mike, Mike correctly predicted the Rams win on Sunday. So this. We talked about this a little bit. You okay, and we're I, going you full and into NFL right now. Yeah, that's fine. I, I swear, I hoping it was going to go. <laughs> I, I Seahawks. I would say are my. Where would you put them in power rankings right now? Six, between five and six. Who, so who's better? Because I'll uh, disagree with at least okay. four of them. You probably, honestly, you probably will. The Ravens, I get. Put them okay. sure. Put so them up here, there. I get it. He, the Niners, sure. They so beat the, this the is this is how I'm gonna this is how I'm gonna make this scenario. Mm-hmm. Just like college football playoff, it's gonna be a neutral site. 50-50 fans. The Seahawks are six and one play, on the road. Play, no, no. What do you mean? No, no I'm gonna explain there. my scenario, and <laughs> this is how the argument is gonna go. Neutral site, no home, no away. I think that a neutral site in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Patriots beat the Seahawks. Fuck off. I think the Ravens beat the Seahawks. Maybe. I think the Chiefs beat the Seahawks. Nope. That is in the AFC. I think that the Packers and the Seahawks have a really good game. Nope. That'd be a toss-up. See, this is why I can't argue football with you because you're no. so you're so pro Seahawk that why aren't I allowed? allowed no, you're allowed, but you, every team I say you say no. Okay, well Saints, I'm, li- I'm still okay, listening. Saints. So I, how many teams have I listed? Like five or six? Five. And I list them at six in the power rankings. I think neutral site, the 49ers and the Seahawks would have another good game. And I think the Rams and the Seahawks would have another good game. So that was eight teams. And I'll say, we'll say 50-50 in those. So I think they're between four and six in the power rankings. What, what do you not like about them? Uh, I don't like their receiving core. I think they have one of the best receiving cores in the league. I don't. Metcalf? I think I think that Metcalf a healthy Lockett is a healthy Lockett healthy player. Lockett is very good, yeah. but Metcalf can only run routes two ways and from the left side of the field. Correct. Uh, I but he's think, a great second or third guy. 
I agree, but I don't think that I think that he's super reliant on I Here's my issue is that they don't have a tight end they can rely on. Would you yeah, agree with I that? Know. So they, who are they playing right now? Jacob Hollister? So Disley at the beginning of the year. He's good. I didn't even know who he was. He's a really good receiver. And the first like three or four games before he tore his Achilles, yeah. he looked great. Not like top five tight yeah. ends in the league, but really good third option on 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 the offense. I think that we disagree on how the Seahawks should run their offense. I don't I don't disagree with that. Um I think that so I'm a big analytics guy and like turnovers in the NFL are very random from season to season. And I think the Seahawks are on the plus side of the turnover ratio right now. So their force, their defense is not very good in terms of like yards per game points per game, but they're very, very good on the turnover ratio, Mm -hmm. which doesn't necessarily mean they're bad or good. They're just get not lucky, but they're winning a thing that isn't very predictable. They were for most of the year, they were like with the bucks and the Cardinals in terms of like how bad their defense was from Agreed. game to game. Mm-hmm. And I think they really, really rely on Russ doing things on like third, second and long and third and long to keep them in the game. And I don't think it's very sustainable, even though he always does it with how their team is set up. If they run into a team that is really good against the run, Pete Carroll has this thing where he's like, I'm going to run on first down, I'm going to run on second down, and then I'm going to rely on Russ on third down to like do something out of his ass where they don't have a very good offensive line protecting him. Mm-hmm. And they rely on him to do things that are really, really hard to do. And if their receiving court isn't healthy, they're going to have a tough time winning out of Seattle. They haven't been very good in Seattle this year, though. Um, so a few comments. Yeah. One, the defense is not close to as nearly as good as they've been in the past. Yeah, no, not even close. No, no, sure. Giving up a no shit ton of yards. Thomas. Yeah. But what I kind of like about what they've done so far this year, turnovers, yes, is one and point. Their clowny signing was tremendous. He's been very good. He, yeah, and he's in been, terms of pressures, he hasn't been healthy for a yeah, while. But too. he, I, I really like that signing for them. Even An- Ansa, Ansai, whatever yeah. his last name is. Ziggy Ansa. Yeah. yeah. He hasn't been playing for a while. Yeah. And he's a beast in the yeah. middle. Uh, Kendricks was out this week, one of our best, our second best linebacker. Yeah. So, like, I think they're a little bit beat up, but turnovers, they've been really good. Yeah. The other thing they be, they've been really good at, and I don't have stats on this, but just watching the games, is forcing teams to kick field goals. Yeah. And that's how you win games, right? Not yeah. giving up touchdowns. And- yeah, and that's why they're ten and three. I agree. And the other thing that I think that they are falling behind on in terms of how the league is progressing is how uh let me see this. Like how aggressive they are. So Baltimore has like an analytics department that Harbaugh goes to in certain situations that increases their odds of winning. And I know like a lot of old school football people hate it, Mm -hmm. but more and more teams are going to this thing where on like fourth and one and two at the 50 or the 45, they'll go for it instead of kicking these short punts. And Pete Carroll has it so ingrained in his mind that in any situation that's like, 
that can increase your chance of winning. He thinks that he should do the defensive thing. And I really hate it, especially with a quarterback like Russ, where getting one or two yards with how mobile he is isn't very hard. And I think that they should start doing things that increase their chance of winning as opposed to decrease their chance of like losing a game. Because he repeatedly does things that like really hurts their chance of winning. And then in the last few minutes of a game, they have to rely on a fourth quarter comeback where Russ has to just throw and throw and throw and throw to win a game where you can just deploy a strategy to start the game where you throw more. You do mix in the run because they're a great running team, but you use more play action. You use more plays that are a little bit more on the dangerous side as opposed to like running the ball isn't very scary unless Carson fumbles. But Russ is Russ. Is Russ he six lost fumbles this year. Russ, I think he's fumbled eight times, lost six. Russ very rarely throws the ball. So the thing that I loved about Russ for the MVP at the beginning of the year is that his efficiency was like out of control. He was throwing oh, less really? than thirty times a game, but throwing mm-hmm. like three hundred yards and three touchdowns, which is super hard to sustain. But now it's gotten to the point where, you know, <laughs> it's normalized where. Seattle is using this game plan week in and week out where they fall behind like 10 nothing, you know, 13-3, and then they have to rely on Russ to throw the ball where they could just do that to start the game. And I fucking hate it. Yeah. I can't stand it. I know. But, I mean, what's what are they, 10-3? Hmm. So... I just... I don't like looking at... I don't like looking at teams' records to determine if they're doing things right. I like to watch games and watch film and figure out if they're actually doing things that increase their chance of winning. And I think Seattle is on the very positive side of where they could be record-wise. Completely agree. Like, I, I'm fine with Our having Our first them. four wins were, like, by one, by four, yeah. by two, by two. Yeah. <laughs> And like, and one was a missed field goal at the end of the game. And I know that I know that Seattle won in San Fran, but Pete Carroll is bad at clock management. But Shanahan's clock management in the fourth quarter in overtime was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah. Like I think the San Fran had the ball and they were winning with like three minutes left, and they went like throw, 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 and took like ten seconds off the clock, and then punted it straight back to Seattle. Do you think Garoppolo is good enough to win a? Super Bowl? I think that uh, <laughs> I think that Garoppolo is kind of like Brady where he is good enough to manage situations that they can where they need him but he's not good enough to win a game by himself. I think their running game is way better than their passing game and I think that if San Fran were to fall behind and had to like chase a team they'd be in a lot of trouble. I, I I think he's better than average, but he's like maybe tenth tenth to twelfth best quarterback in the league this year. I'm pretty Somewhere impressed with him, to be honest. Yeah. For the let's say forty five minutes of football I've watched of Seahawks yeah. or I've watched of the 49ers outside of the Seahawks game this year. But he he was surprisingly good and maybe he just had his best game of the year this week in, in New Orleans. In New Orleans. Yeah. I think I think, like, he also has probably the first or second best offensive mind in the league 
telling him what to do, right. which is huge. Like Shanahan, Shanahan in Atlanta was amazing. Um, and then he came to San Fran and they were okay last year, but this year they're really good. And like next to the quarterbacks and a few running backs, Kittle is like the most important player for sure in the league. He's incredible. He's like the number one rated pass blocker, pass protection guy. He's the number one blocker. He's like a top three receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, I, I don't know. I, I was thinking about this on the way over here. I think that next year, it's very possible that Seattle's division could have a team where like the least amount of wins is like six or seven. So I think Arizona is going to be a lot better if they pick up a few defensive pieces and Kingsbury and Murray should be better. And then the Rams and Seattle and 49ers will still be good. That division is going to be really, really good for a while. It's been like, if not the best division, one of the top two for or three sure. divisions for 15 years, it feels like. Yeah, it's been a while. Well, since Russ got there. 2012, sure. yeah. It's been so good. It's so hard to get. And then you look at like the Cowboys division that what, they're leading at six and seven. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, Arizona would be the, trying to win a division yeah, in that division. Yeah. It's crazy. The other, like the big, the Seahawks secondary in the first six or eight games of the year was worse than the league probably. Yeah. So bad. Shaquille Griffin I really like, and he's yeah. pretty good. Flowers, rookie, big body. And they signed, who they signed from Detroit? Quandre Diggs? So, he's fucking good. He, <laughs> he's fucking good. Dude. <laughs> It was literally like a switch. Yeah. It was like one of the worst secondaries in the league. Oh, okay. Now we're actually not that bad on defense. Yeah. He's really good. Really, really good. He was good in Detroit. And my Nick, my brother, he's a huge Lions guy. Mm. He was pissed when they let him go. <laughs> he's really good. He's very good. And yeah. I like the the few moves, I'll give Seattle credit. The few moves that they've made in the offseason or in during the year have been yeah. been really good. I just I don't I don't like teams getting into these scenarios where they're good, but I don't know if they're good enough to win a Super Bowl. And I don't know if Seattle's pieces are good enough to win a Super Bowl. Even so, like, again, with the front office credit, getting Gordon on waivers. Yeah. Pretty good pickup. Yeah. Like, that guy is so solid. How old is he? He's young. Is he 28, I think? I would, I would guess That's between, it, yeah. I would guess 26 to 28. He's yeah. 28, I believe. Yeah. So feels like the every upside, week the he gets a little The upside is there better. for sure with the the stuff you're sacrificing in terms of if he's, you know, a problem in the locker room or if you're dealing with his out-of-game stuff. It but seems I, I like, like he's it. been pretty good. Like, I, I follow him on social media. He seems like he's pretty pumped to yeah. be in Seattle. Is he, on, is he the, the guys right now? Him? No. No? He did was he, like... He, was he playing versus the Rams? Because he didn't... Uh, yeah, I think he had five Gordon, targets. Did he? he, had, he had Gordon had six targets, targets and caught two three, catch, three, two or three. Yeah, three, I think. So I think if you if you I think if you can deploy Lockett, Metcalf, and Gordon together, that's actually a, quite a good receiving core. Um, but I'm kind of not loving how they are because Metcalf and Lockett are both deep targets a lot of the time. I think Lockett plays a little bit in the slot. Mm-hmm. But I think his skill set is best utilized down the field, and then Gordon can be your shorter target, I think. But 
I just Metcalf is good, but he's so he's so one dimensional. He, I really like him to be honest. I don't mind him. He's twenty three years old. He's I know. A rookie. I just hope he can like expand his route running tree. He's such a well. Like, look at his size, man. I know. He's what six five two forty. Yeah. Like, yeah. one of the biggest receivers in the league. He's massive. Yeah. So obviously DBs are going to be faster than him for sure. Obviously. So his thing is he's a big dude like a uh, Megatron. Yeah. Like that's what he's trying to be. Yeah. He's not trying to be the best route runner in the league. No, like, I agree. Like Lockett. Like if if you if follow like net, next gen stats on uh, Twitter and stuff, and it shows every route that he runs, and like ninety nine percent are like from the left side of the field and a post pattern. And that's all he does. And then he runs a few out patterns and it's like, I, I like the, I like the guy as like a third option, but I don't think he's a good enough second, second option. And if Lockett is injured, I really wonder who Russ is going to throw the ball to, especially if Disley's out. Is he season ending IR? Torres uh, Achilles. Yeah. Week six or yeah. something. He was a surprisingly nice addition during the first part of the year. I think he had six touchdowns through week six. He was very profitable for me, taking the over on receptions for Disley every week. He was good. If Lockett is healthy, I like our offense a lot against most other yeah. teams. I, yeah, I know. Those three guys, To obviously, like I've watched Metcalf a lot, and I like how good his hands are for being a big receiver. And yeah. he's a rookie. He his hands are good. <laughs> Do you remember that one weird play he had? I don't know when he he caught the ball and it then he just dropped, dropped it. <laughs> Which game was that? Yeah, but fucking so does Torello. Was that, was, that San, was that Sam Bear? Sam Fran? I can't remember. It was so that weird. Was he so caught weird. it and then he just like tried to tuck it and he dropped the ball. I was yeah. like, how does that even happen? Rookie. Um. But yeah. I think losing they, Penny was huge. Losing Penny literally might be the difference between us making a deep playoff run or not. Yeah. Like Penny was. Very, yeah. Very good. If you, if you had to do a top, just a top three power ranking for Super Bowl, who would you do for Super Bowl? Yeah. I would probably pick Baltimore, San Fran. And I really don't like anyone else in the AFC. Yeah. I don't think New England's good enough to win. Their offense isn't good enough. I Saints. So I, I, I don't think um I'm gonna say who I don't think first. Mm -hmm. I don't think KC's good enough. And then you go to the NFC and it's literally Seattle and New Orleans for me. I don't think Green Bay is good enough to win. See, I think there's I think the NFC North has a couple sneaky teams. I know that Minnesota lost in Seattle. Minnesota doesn't beat one good team this year. I know. I well, uh, I don't know. If, is that true? Yeah. I uh, I don't trust Cousins in big games. It was the same. They were like the same as the Niners. The Niners hadn't beat a good team until New Orleans. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's Minnesota's wins are not as strong as I thought they were. No. Okay, so I'll take them out. But I think if you have to go to Green Bay, Green Bay is a very, very hard place to win when it's cold. And I don't love that. Like if Seattle gets a if uh, Seattle gets a wild card and has to go to Green Bay, would be a fucking really good game that to watch. Good, yeah. <laughs> but but knowing how much Seattle likes to run the ball, I know. 
But Green Bay can also run the ball now, which is a little scary. Their receiving core, other than Adams, is like really, really bad too. I'm like, I'm more scared to play in New Orleans than in Green Bay, to be honest. I would be too, but since when does New Orleans give up 50 points I know. in the Superdome? <laughs> that was crazy. What a shootout, man. A that was such game. a weird game. Um, Every team has those weird games throughout the year, though. That's why football is so much fun to watch. And, and like you asked me about Garoppolo, I think San Fran is an amazing... I think that San Fran is built really well. Defensively, they're, mm-hmm. they're really good with Boza and, and Sherman and a couple other DBs. Offensively, they can so run the ball with three different guys. they lost this year for the year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this week, and Sherman is day-to-day. I just don't know how Garoppolo will deal with like playoff, playoff pressure if, if, if they get behind. Yeah. So... I think it's. I think this year in the NFL is pretty cool because there's not one team where you're like, they're really, really, really good. Like, by far the best. I don't think Baltimore is by far the best. I think they are now. So the first, the first half of the year, they were not playing with their three best defensive players, and over the last four weeks, they've been rated the best defensive and offensive team. Just really scary. Have they played anyone good other like yeah, they played the Bills? So yeah, this is the thing. Their strength of schedule has been is rated the top in terms of win loss record in the league. Their last five weeks has been incredibly difficult. They beat I think they beat New England, Buffalo, Kansas City, San Fran. And San Fran. So you can say what you want, but that's pretty good. That's a pretty good winning streak. I th- uh, no, I ranked them number one in the past. I know, I know. So do you think Lamar is going to win playoff games though? I think they can because if they if, if his his weakness is throwing the ball sometimes and I think he can just tuck and run if he has to and their defense is going to hold the other team to not very many points so it's not like they have to put up 40 to win. So they they beat the Steelers, the Pats, the Texans, the Rams, the 49ers and the Bills in the last 6 weeks and the Seahawks. Seahawks is early. Seahawks was week seven. Seven? Week seven, they won at Seattle. That was a shit game. And then they beat the Patriots in week nine. They beat the Texans. of the Seahawks team. But listen to these wins, though. I know. I'm paying attention, Michael. No, no, but by the margin of victory, 41 to seven against the Texans. I know. 45 to six against the Rams. Like, they're fucking good. They're good. I think the Rams had a very good game last week. I agree. I think that the, I don't even know what the record is. I think it's eight and five. It, no, no, like the last six or seven times they've played Seattle, it's like mm. seven and zero oh or something six like and, that. I think they're six and two in the last six and eight. two. And McVeigh just constantly owns Pete Carroll. <laughs> Drives me nuts, but I just I hate. I hate Pete. <laughs> He has his pros and cons. He has his pros and cons for sure. Pro, shoe selection. Cons. Con, kicking a field goal with seven minutes left when you're down by three scores. Yeah. Yeah. They had four, it was fourth and half a yard Pete, in the first Pete, quarter. Pete loves to make like two score games, two score games with field goals. So you need yeah. a touchdown and a field goal, and he's like, I'm going to kick two field goals. <laughs> <laughs> But he, he got it to 16. Yeah. That's like the hardest number to get. Yeah. 
Oh man, NFL is wild. I'm that. excited I for the playoffs so this year. It should be good. I do not want Baltimore to win. I want anyone to. I would rather San Fran win than Baltimore, to be honest. Do you think that New England has the ability to, like, just turn it on in the playoffs again? Because they're uh, going to get home field advantage, not for the entire division, but they'll get two. they'll get the second seed. And I, I, so I, I don't like betting game. on. I don't like betting on New England, but like it's so hard to bet against them in the playoffs yeah. with home field. So they'd probably have a home game against someone like Casey. Um, yeah, I think I think because Casey beat them, if they both, uh, yeah, if New England wins out and Casey wins out, New England would have them by one. But if New England wins loses a game, then Casey would get home field. Oh shit! So that game last week was like impo- really important for the seeding. And that was in Foxborough. Mm-hmm. And New England looked like, pretty gross. How <laughs> about my Cowboys? Do hear that? Great, great team. Your Cowboys? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Neither them or the Eagles want to win the division. No. <laughs> How many days does their coach have left? <laughs> well, he should have been fired like, I don't know, 14 months ago. <laughs> Why are you a Cowboys fan? I just grew up watching them with my dad. Really? Yeah. Ralph's a Cowboys guy. Really? Yeah. Ugh. Nav is a big Eagles guy. He has he's been yeah. Nav has been very quiet this year, Carl. Very quiet. What can you say? That's fair. Who did they play last week? The Eagles. They played the Giants on Monday. Monday, right? And, and they, they won, won an OT. Yeah. <laughs> and the week before that, so I think it went Miami. The Cowboys. The Cowboys lost to the Bills, and uh, who's the other team they lost to? Cowboys lost to the Bills and the Bears, like both embarrassingly ways. And then the the Eagles were going to lose to the Dolphins and the Giants. And it was like four weeks in a row where you had no idea what was going to go on. <laughs> and now they play each other in week 16, I think, and that's going to decide who wins. Probably at like nine and seven. Yeah. <laughs> if that. Where I think in Seattle's division, there's going to be three teams with, I don't know. I don't know this Rams strength of schedule, but they might not lose a game coming in. And the Rams play uh, against the Niners week 16. Okay. In San Fran. So do the, do the does so, San Fran play Seattle and the Rams back to back? Yeah. So San Fran has an easy game. I think they play Atlanta, then the Rams, then Seattle. Yeah. And Seattle has Carolina, Arizona, San Fran. Okay. So, so two, they both two should easy win two. ones, and then yeah, yeah. And the, the Rams have two easy ones and one hard one. Yeah, Dallas, San Fran, Arizona. Dallas, San yeah. Fran, Arizona. Dallas isn't necessarily easy. is it in, in Dallas? Dallas or it's in Dallas. Oh, that's that's really a little, that's a little tougher. Yeah. So because Dallas but, is, needs to win. And what's the Rams are eight and five now? Yes. So I could see there could be three teams in that division with ten wins. Hmm. Is it possible for three teams to get into the playoffs in that division? Two with two wild cards, yeah, yeah, with ten wins, yeah. They just have to get both wild card spots, mm-hmm. which is super ha- yeah. rare. Yeah, exactly. That's right? what I mean. So they'd have to have a better record than Minnesota. Uh, who else? Really? It's really just Minnesota. The Eagles aren't going to be there. That would be the next wild card spot. So 
Yeah, it's it's literally it's the Rams versus the Vikings basically, and then yeah. there's the Bears at seven and six, and I don't, the Bears aren't going to do anything. No. So that's it's going to be probably Seattle. It'll be the last. And the, those Seattle San Fran games needs to be flexed to the the good the good spot. They're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, they'd probably do it last minute. Because if New Orleans loses a game, yeah, which they probably won't. That last game, regardless, even if New Orleans wins out, San Fran's going to win both, yeah. probably, let's say. And then they play in Seattle, and if they win, they're number one in the NFC. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. if they lose and Seattle wins, Seattle wins a division, but mm-hmm. is number two in the NFC because New Orleans beat us. But are both 13-3. and three. Fuck, football's so good. <laughs> Any other thoughts on golf, Mike, as we wrap up? Um, what was like the biggest takeaway this year? Obviously, it wasn't the year you wanted to have. So biggest takeaway would be I went into the year wanting to keep my card by like making cuts consistently. And I would rather go into each week like wanting to win. So it's like a very different mindset, like trying to make cuts and make money versus being okay with missing cuts and winning an event. So like there, there's a few guys I think this year that made like 10 of 12 cuts, but their highest finish was like 40th and they still lose their cards as opposed to guys that win once, miss like 10 cuts in a row and then, you know, keep their card and come like 10th on the money list, even though they're scoring average and their cuts maids were lower um they just have that one week and you because golf is so up and down you really have to take advantage of the weeks where everything is clicking yeah for sure so i would definitely go into next year with a a different mindset of like what i wanted to do i would be totally okay with an up and down season as opposed to like a really consistent season what does the next six months look for, like for you? Uh, hopefully. What's the injury update? Injury update. Doing physio and gym four hours a day. Really? Four hours a day. I'm doing physio stuff for my hip. Uh, just maintaining my golf swing as much as I can without being able to take uh, like that many full swings, no driver swings. And then moving down to Phoenix in January, hopefully for a few months, January to March, and then come back and prepare for Q school again. May? May, yeah. On the island? Yeah. You know, come surprise me last day again. I'm not going to tell you. Sneak in the trees. <laughs> I'm super surprised. Honestly, I was going to say this. I'm super surprised that I would, feel like you would be good at sneaking around, but I feel like Alex would be like I had to tell yelling him to stuff do every from the trees hole. or like making some weird noises and stuff Just like that. Just can't help himself. He can't anything. help himself. Every single hole. I'm not joking. <laughs> there would be points where he's like, Denny, I can't see. I'm like, Alex, fuck off. Get behind the tree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I thought it would be. I on, I honestly thought that like showing up and just being like, hey, Mike, yeah. might just fuck you up for one hole or something. Yeah. No, and I didn't want to do I like I like that you guys kind of stayed back. It was good. And then it was even better when I saw you guys at the end. Yeah, that was on huge. the 18th green. Someone asked me the other day. They're like, 
well, how many shots was he clear of the cut by? And I was like, oh, I think it was like at least three. Yeah. Like it wasn't really close. <laughs> and they're like, well, you jumped out on the 18th green before he putt? It's like, yeah, but he had to like five putt from, like, from 12 feet. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I think you were like way clear. Yeah. Because the when first I, five I, holes I, I, bur- were I, bur- I birdied the 17th hole. And then that's as, right. As soon as you, the tee shot on the last hole is kind of weird because it's a huge dog leg with. It'll be on both sides. Yeah. As soon as I got that in the Pharaoh, I was like, it's like, fuck yeah. I was so pumped. <laughs> on 17, 17 was kind of awkward for someone trying yeah. to stay in the shadows. <laughs> that like, we saw your tee shot and then we had to like sprint across the fairway yeah. while you were on the green. So we were like, I was, and Alex is obviously <laughs> behind me. I'm like, Alex, hurry up. Yeah. <laughs> Running across the fairway. And then we're like, we didn't really see you tee off on 18 because we, had to like go up towards the yeah. green almost. And then we see, I think we see two ball, two or three balls in the fairway. Was it a threesome? Yeah, it was a threesome. So maybe two balls hit the fairway, like dead center of the fairway. And then one was like off into the bunker yeah. or like something like that. And we don't, we couldn't see who was teeing <laughs> off. We're like, fuck, I hope Mike's in the yeah. fairway. I hope Mike's in the fairway. <laughs> oh man, that was, but you made a putt on the fringe from yeah, on 17, on right? 17, yeah. That was, big, yeah, so that we were, was a big moment. Yeah. For he, sure. That was a really cool back nine for you, man. Yeah. Even just after five. After five, it's easy to fall apart. Plus three through five outside the cut line. Yeah. Yeah, that was something I look back on. Just for, whenever I like have, even in, in tournaments when I'm like having a tough go at the beginning, I kind of can look back at that now. It's nice to have. Totally. Yeah. I'm excited for you. Thanks, buddy. I hope next year or this year was just a great learning experience for next year. And then next year is the, oh, uh, this year's the gonna, catapult. This year's year. going to be good. No question. Got my learning experience done. It's time to win. You got to come to Pump Springs next year. <laughs> yeah. Two years I've missed now in a row. That's okay. The spot's still open. Carol, you gonna pick up a club and join us or what? I need some custom ones. Man. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you know one guy day I can help you with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, how how long would Carl's clubs be? <laughs> Two probably, inches oversized. How tall are you? Six, six, seven, six, seven. seven. Yeah, probably three, three inches long. <laughs> but like swinging a normal golf club for me is so awkward. Oh yeah, it's so awkward. I get laughs. <laughs> you can just come and have some beers with us Scott. cool I can do that then you save $1,200 yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's so expensive <laughs> alright Mike thanks for coming yeah. back man yeah man thanks that was for fun me. anything else you want to share about your tour life it's no, a fucking no. grind I it's think that's a, yeah, the that's, important that's, thing that's, for people that's to understand that's amazing it's, it's not a luxury life it's yeah. a grind um worth it for sure but uh definitely Definitely tough at times. Even just like the idea of making money for the next year. Like you have to try to find a part-time job for like four, yeah, five, six months. It's And you can't think about the money part of it because then you're in trouble. Right. If you're, if you're grinding over every shot thinking that you have to do something to like be able to travel or pay for whatever next week, you're never going to play as well as you need to. Do most guys just not like have other 
jobs dreaming? Uh, I guess you can't really. No, do a lot it. of guys. Uh, when I come home, a lot of guys like go to Phoenix or Florida for the six months right after the year ends. I tend to stick around and do like part time work a little bit just to have a little more money for the winter time in Phoenix. But a lot of guys are just tour life for six and then practice in Phoenix or Florida for six and they'll have a little bit more help from sponsors and some outside help but I'm happy with the way I'm doing it Phoenix and Florida they're two big ones no there's not really a winter season like anywhere else? the best place to the, the best time to be in Arizona it's like Palm Springs is the winter months because mm-hmm. it's not 40 degrees it's like 25 every day no clouds No Palm Springs, eh? Seems like Palm Springs a... is good, but it's more it's way more expensive than Arizona. Oh, okay. Yeah. Even to golf? To golf and, to and the rent. It's yeah. especially the living situation. In in Arizona you can find places for pretty cheap that are pretty nice, but Palm Springs especially it's expensive. Yeah. All right, brother. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, man. That was fun. That's good. I'm excited to watch you next year. Hopefully from outside the trees. Yeah, good. Good 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 Trees. Inside the ropes. (laughs) 